Let's pray. God, we ask that you would quiet our hearts now. I thank you uh, once again just for this team that you have raised up to lead us in worship, God. They are not, uh, they are not performing uh, for um, an audience, a, a, a congregation. They're performing for an audience of one and leading us along with them into your presence. And so, God, now we ask that you would quiet our hearts. We ask that you would turn them to you. Uh, God, we all bring with us this morning uh, distractions, fears, frustrations, disappointments, concerns, uh, and we ask that you would allow us to put those to the side and focus on the one true hope that we have. Uh, God, it, it feels right now like there are more uh, uncertainties than ever before. Uh, but may you remind us that all of human history is one great uncertainty. And the only certain thing is you. Any season of life that feels like we're more in control and the future is more secure is simply an illusion. Because your call on us is to walk each day with faith. And we ask that you would allow us to do that now. Pray that you would open, us, uh, op open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive your word this morning. We believe that you have the words of life, and that's why we study them and learn them. And I pray that you would speak to us through them. Encourage someone who needs to be encouraged, God. Convict someone who needs to be convicted. Help someone who needs to be helped. Do what only the living God can do. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. And yeah, you can clap. Let's, let's say thank you one more time to our worship team. Like so many areas of life right now, uh, they are um, working through last-minute changes and cancellations. And uh, as you saw the, the band this morning, I said we had a little bit of a Green Day vibe this morning. Those who know, know. Just a guitar and a bass guitar and drums. Uh, but didn't they do just a wonderful job leading us um, in worship? So thank you. Let's go. We're back to Mark. Uh, I don't know if any of you, yeah, yeah, thanks. I got a clap there. I'm excited. Uh, I don't know if any of you saw, I'm sure some of you did, the, uh, the Warriors game last Sunday. It was Clay Thompson's first game back after 900 some days. Uh, yeah, we, I mean, we don't need to clear, cheer for the Warriors, but uh, if, if you saw the opening, you know, the introduction of the starting lineups, they saved him for last, and they introduced the other four guys, then it got quiet, and the announcer just went, he's back. And that's how I feel about the Gospel of Mark. He's back. It's been a couple months, but we're back to Mark. Let's go. We're in Mark chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 24, 7, 24 through 37. This is what it says. Actually, I'll give you like 10 seconds to get there. That was 10. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. For immediately, let's go, immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. 
And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment and they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, the title of my sermon this morning is Who Let the Dogs Out? And, and don't worry, there's more where that came from. There are two stories in the Bible. Well, there's probably more, but there's two at the top of the list. There are two stories in the Bible that I hate. Is that, is that too much for a pastor to say? I don't want to crush your image of me before we even get started. But there are two stories in the Bible that I, I just, I really don't like them. Uh, every year for the past number of years, uh, I have done my best to read through the Bible uh, in the year, to, to get through the whole Bible in the, in the calendar year. And though I've been doing that for many years now, every time I come to these two chapters and I know what is going to happen, I get this little sinking feeling inside of me. And I'm not making this up. I'm like, I'm disappointed to have to read them again because I dislike them so much. The first one is 2 Samuel chapter 11. It is the story of David and Bathsheba. And I think it is one of the saddest chapters in all of Scripture. Obviously, Jesus dying on a cross is more sad than it, but, but understand where I'm coming from. The story of David up until 2 Samuel chapter 11 is awesome. It is just this amazing story of this unknown shepherd boy who was the youngest and smallest in his family, had nothing on the outside that would have made him appear attractive or desirable or to be anything more than a shepherd boy. And God calls him out of that and tells him, you're going to be king over Israel. And it doesn't come quickly. It doesn't happen easily. But it's just this story of, of, of unwavering faithfulness on the part of David. It's God's hand on him. And just as like they said of Jesus, Jesus in verse 37. Up until that point, it can be said of David that he does all things well. He's gracious and he's humble and he's wise and he makes good decisions and he's patient and he walks with God. And then we get to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and the army's out and he's a leader of the army and he's supposed to be with the army and he's not and we can have all kinds of conjecture as to why it's not but you know how the story goes. He sees a woman who's not his wife and he takes her for himself and then he has her husband murdered in battle so that he can cover up this evil that he has done. And that is really not only the turning point in David's life, it is the turning point in the kingdom of Israel. That is the top best uh, highest point in his life, everything after that, it just falls apart. His family falls apart. His kingdom falls apart. You can trace a direct line from the invasion of the Assyrians and then the uh, Babylonians back to David's sin. Yet, he is still called a man after God's own heart. And, and even though I hate that story, and I think it is so sad, 
I know why it's in the Bible, because God is showing us ourselves. He's showing us that no one can do it on their own, that no one is good enough on their own, and yet God can cover the sin. God can fix what has been broken. God, last week, can rebuild what sin has broken down. God can create a clean heart and renew a right spirit inside of us. Still doesn't mean I like it when I get to 2 Samuel chapter 11. The other story, probably number two on the stories that I don't like in the Bible, is found a lot earlier, and it's in Genesis 27. Genesis 27. It is in the story of the life of Isaac. It's towards the end of his life. Isaac was the miracle child that was promised by God to elderly and barren Abraham and Sarah, and he now has his own children, twins, Esau and Jacob. And in Genesis 27, Isaac is getting to the end of his life. We're told that his eyes are growing dim. He can't see well. He's old. He knows that he's going to die. And he says, it's time for me to give the blessing to my oldest child. Now, even though Esau and Jacob were twins, Esau was the firstborn, and so he was to get the blessing from his father. And so uh, Isaac, I get Isaac and Jacob mixed up. Forgive me if I say the wrong one at the wrong time. You know what I meant. Uh, Isaac calls Esau to himself. Esau's a, an outdoorsman, a hunter. And he says, go hunt some of that game that I love. Prepare a meal for me, and after I eat this meal, I'm going to give you your blessing. And so Esau, go, Esau goes out. Uh, Isaac's wife and his other son, Jacob, conspire to trick him. And so his wife, Rebecca, makes a delicious meal. They put skins on uh, I- Jacob's arms. And since Isaac can't see, he goes in, he gives him the meal, he tricks him. Isaac says, you, you sound like Jacob, but you, I think you're Esau because of the game and the hairy arms. And then he gives him the blessing. And no sooner has Jacob left the tent than Esau comes back with the game that he's hunted, and he, he, he's prepared a meal, a meal for his father, and he brings it into him. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 27 that when Esau came in, uh, Isaac began to tremble violently. And he tells Esau, I've already given your blessing to Jacob. I've been tricked. And that last part of Genesis 27, if, Genesis, or if 2 Samuel 11 is one of the saddest chapters in the Bible to me, Genesis 27 is one of the most pathetic chapters in the Bible. Because here's Esau, and the Bible describes him as this kind of big hunter, outdoorsman, redhead, hairy, uh, not that that makes you strong, but it just sounds like it. Uh, like, I think he would, have been, he would have been right at home in William Wallace's inner circle. And when he finds out that Jacob has stolen his blessing, he loses it. It says he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And then he basically throws himself at his father's feet and begins to weep. Here's this, here's this burly hunter outdoorsman slobbering and snotting on himself at his father's feet, weeping in front of him, saying, don't you have another blessing? Isn't there another blessing for me, father? Don't you have another blessing? Is there enough blessing for me? And Isaac's answer is, there isn't. I had one blessing, and I gave it to Jacob, and you get the leftovers. I think part of why I hate that story is for the same reasons I hate the the story of David and Bathsheba. It's just like, why does everything have to go wrong? Why, Why does everything have to get messed up and jacked up? Why are people so mean and so evil, and why do we do such stupid things? That's part of it. But I also think part of why I don't like Genesis 27 and Isaac and Jacob and Esau in the stealing of the blessing 
is because I think it hits way closer to home than I would like it to. Because there have been many seasons in my life where I have done the same thing as Esau. I've basically thrown myself at God's feet, slobbering all over myself, saying, God, don't you have another blessing for me? Don't you have enough blessing for me? Isn't there enough love, enough grace? God, do you have enough for me? In seasons of life where it's not going the way that I want it, when things are hard, when I'm disappointed, when it hasn't played out the way that I want it, and it doesn't feel like I'm getting God's good stuff, it's really easy for me to start asking him, don't you have a blessing for me, God? Don't you, is, is there enough for me? And conversely, it's not just when things are bad, but, but in those seasons of life, and I think this is actually even worse, when I come like full face frontal exposure, that didn't come out right, uh, of, of my sin and how depraved and, 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 and just degraded and evil I can be, it is easy to start saying, God, don't you have enough for me? Is, is there enough blessing for me? Is there enough love, grace, salvation? Is there enough for me? Now look, for those of us who are church people, and I know that's a lot of us and it's me, we know the answer to that question, right? We know in our head, yes, of course, there's enough. I'm giving away the rest of my sermon right up front. But the, but the beauty of God's word is we're still gonna learn a lot as we walk through it. But there's a big difference between what we understand to be true in our heads and what we feel in our hearts. And so if we can just keep it real with each other, and I'm tr I try to do that as best as I can, when the bills are not being paid, when, when jobs are being lost, when companies are failing, when sickness and disease are taking over our bodies, when children are rebelling, when children are wandering, when relationships are breaking down, when the future is uncertain, when we make decisions and they don't turn out the way that we thought they were going to, is it not easy to start wondering if God has enough good stuff for us? Is it not easy to start asking, is there enough for me? Father, is there enough for me? Don't you have more for me? Now, as I said earlier, we're back to Mark. We're calling this series Let's Go. We started it last year. We're doing a study of the whole gospel of Mark. It is the first gospel that was written. It's the shortest. It's the easiest to understand. We believe it is based on the eyewitness account of the disciple Peter and his time with Jesus. And the gospel of Mark, though it has a lot of themes and teaches us a lot of things, one of the major themes of the gospel of Mark is that it is about action. Following Jesus is about action. And that's why we're calling it Let's Go because it is a call to action. And I love that we're coming back to Mark after last week's message as a, a call to rebuilding what sin has broken down and joining God in doing that. God is a rebuilding God. And I believe part of the message of the gospel of Mark is that God is at work. He's inviting you to join him. So let's go. As we pick up the passage we're going to study today, some of you are like, uh, I thought we were studying Mark. I thought you read Mark, but you've been talking a lot more about Genesis 27 than you have about Mark chapter 7, and there's a reason for that, as I hope you expected. I believe that the question that Esau asks his father Isaac is the same question that the Syrophoenician woman and the deaf and mute man are asking Jesus in this passage. Is there enough for me? Is there another blessing for me? Is there enough for me? And that's why I'm calling it Who Let the Dogs Out? And we'll get, you'll understand a little bit more as we get further on. One of, the, one of the folks on the worship team said, that sounds like it's going to be about the Cleveland Browns. 
It could have been, but we're not. <laughs> they don't give life. God's word gives life. They, they, they don't give life. I titled it, Who Let the Dogs Out? Because the dogs are out and they are asking, is there enough for us? Is there enough blessing for us? Is there enough grace, love, kindness, salvation? Is there enough for us? And we're just going to draw out three, I would call them like bedrock truths about God, who he is, and what it means to follow him from these verses that we're looking at today. And the first one is this. Jesus came for everyone. Jesus came for everyone. Now, you hear me say this over and over and over again as we're working through this book, and hopefully any, any more years that I get to preach, you'll hear me say this again and again. One of the greatest things you can do when studying God's word is look at the context. Context, 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 because it, it opens up understanding. And the context we need to look at, we studied two months ago in November. So if you can remember, you get a gold star. But the first half of chapter 7, 1 through 24, is this interaction between Jesus and the religious leaders in Israel. They are upset because Jesus and his disciples are not doing what good Jews are supposed to do. They're not following the ceremonial rules. They're not doing what they need to remain ceremonially clean. And really, it's an argument about what does it mean to be Jewish. Because the Jews, for good reason, believed that they were a special set-apart people, that they had a special blessing from God, that they were Jacob and the rest of the world was Esau. But what Jesus does in the midst of those first 24 verses of chapter 7 is he blows up that thinking. And what he makes clear, they get into an argument about food, and Mark explicitly lays it out for us just a few verses before our passage today, is that in saying what he said, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now that's important as we come to the passage that we're at today. Because Jesus is coming off an argument with the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, about what it means to be Jewish. Who's in and who's out. And in the very next verse, verse 24, what does it say? And from there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Where are Tyre and Sidon? Not in Israel. The Syrophoenician woman, not Jewish. The deaf and mute man in the Decapolis, not Jewish. There is not an accident the way that Mark, through the, the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, has arranged chapter 7. Because in the first half, Jesus says, all foods are clean. In the second half, he says, all people are clean. He leaves Israel and he goes outside of Israel and he has these two amazing encounters. And remember who Mark's audience is. He is writing to who? Gentile Christians in Rome, we believe. So as they are reading this manuscript for the first time, they are cheering loudly because they've just been told that all foods are clean and it's like, that's good news. And in the second half of chapter seven, Mark is telling them all people can be clean too. Jesus came not just for the Jews. He came for everyone. See, the Jewish people, and again, this is not to bag on them because if you read the Old Testament, you understand how they got to this. They thought the Messiah was coming for them. The Messiah was coming to rescue them and to save them and to restore them. But what Mark is making so clear in these verses that we are looking at is that Jesus, he did come for them, but he came for more than them. He came for everyone. Tomorrow is uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I just, I can't think of a more appropriate message to kind of honor the legacy of what he stood for. 
Because the message that Mark is conveying in these verses that we're looking at, first of all, is that Jesus came for everyone. And Martin Luther King Jr.'s life was built on, as we know, fighting to show people how sinful and wrong it is to believe that one group of people is better or more superior than another. We honor his legacy in this church. Just look around you. In our men's huddle group yesterday, we looked at Ephesians chapter 2 about the dividing wall of hostility being broken down. I have never been a part of a church as diverse as ALCF. And you all are not here because it's comfortable and it's easy and everyone looks like you and, and votes like you and believes the same things as you. You are here because we are united around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is just an amazing picture of what it means that Jesus came for everyone. One of the quotes you'll see from Martin Luther King Jr. in any list of like his top quotes is this. And I just, I thought, I think it's so appropriate for what we're looking at today. He said one time, we may all have come from different ships, but we're in the same boat now. We may all have come from different ships, but we're in the same boat now. And it's just a different way of saying the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Jesus came for the Jewish people just as much as he came for the Gentile people. Jesus died on the cross just as much for the Jewish people as he did for the Gentile people. And anyone, anywhere in the world today, Jesus came for them because Jesus came for everyone. Now, what is really easy for us to do is to run to two extremes, that both of which are a lie when we look at the reason that Jesus came or who he came for. And the first is this. It is easy for us in the church especially those of us who have been in the church for a long time, to start to think and act like the first century religious leaders in in Israel. It is pretty easy for us to start to think that we in the church who know the language and know the scriptures, we are God's children. We have a special blessing. We don't drink. We don't smoke. We don't gamble. We don't swear. At least when other church people are around. And, and, and Lord help those outsiders who do. Now, I'm being obviously a little bit facetious, but, but catch, catch the drift. We just have to look at kind of the history of the church to see how easy it is for us to fall into this outsider and insider deal and think that actually Jesus maybe came a little bit more for us than he did for other people. Because uh, there was a long period in this country, and we still feel the ramifications of it, where the church was either silent in the face of or supported slavery Racism and segregation. Horrific. Horrific failure in living out the gospel of Jesus Christ because Jesus came not just for white people, but he came for everyone. The church's track record on its treatment of people in the LGBTQ community, it's horrific. It it, it, it is a complete failure. Failure to uphold the love, kindness, and grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because listen to me, Jesus came for gay people just as much as he came for straight people. He came for everybody. The church doesn't have a great track record on its treatment of women. There's a history where it's like men are the insiders, women are the outsiders, but newsflash, Jesus came for women just as much as he came for men. The reason Jesus went to Tyre and Sidon is because Jesus came for everyone. Now, the other danger is to to go to the other extreme. And that is to look inwardly and say, look, I have done things. 
I have said things. I have stuff in my life that there is no way a good, holy God could ever love or accept. And that is just as big a lie as the first one. Because Jesus came for everyone. Listen, we all have our stuff. We all have our stuff in our past. We all have our stuff that we're dealing with right now. And we all got stuff that we're going to deal with in the future. Some of us are just better at hiding it than others. There is no sin so deep that the cross of Jesus Christ cannot go deeper. There is nothing. There is nothing in your life that is surprising to God that he hasn't heard of that, that, that would separate you from his love. Jesus came for everyone, okay? So that's, that, that's it. And that should be good news for all of us because the second truth I want to draw out of these passages is that we are all dogs. And not in the like, you're my dog, dog sense. <laughs> we are all dogs. So here's what happens. Jesus goes to Tyre uh, outside of Israel. He's trying to get away. Wants it to be quiet. Can't get away. We're told immediately. I hope every time you read the Gospel of Mark from here on out, when you see that word immediately, which just shows up over and over and over again, I hope you think about let's go. Uh, uh, immediately, a woman comes and throws herself at his feet. She's got a daughter who is possessed by an unclean spirit. And she says, can you please heal my daughter? And what does Jesus say? You know, in Ecclesiastes, it says there is nothing new under the sun. So I just want you to know that, that, that Randy Jackson, he, he, he wasn't the originator. She says, can you heal my daughter? And what does Jesus say? That's a no for me, dog. Seriously? Verse 27. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. We got to unpack this. This is maybe not, it's, it's maybe the, it is certainly one of the most shocking statements that Jesus makes in all of scripture. Um, and we got to unpack it a little bit because uh, when we hear dog in California, uh, we may think something a little bit different than what Jesus was probably getting at in this passage. So uh, I don't, we don't believe in reincarnation as Christians. If I, if I was, if I was to come back, to be a house dog in California might be the highest level of existence. <laughs> I have never experienced what dogs get it's like they do here in California. My wife and I have a game that we play. I'm not making this up. My wife and I have a game that we play when we were out about town, out, out and about, uh, called Baby or Dog. And it is when you see a stroller from a distance, we make bets as to whether that is a baby in the stroller or a dog in the stroller. And you would be amazed how hard it is. It is not an easy game to play. Despite the elevated status of dogs here in California, I think most of us understand in today's culture, were you, if you are to call, if, were you to call a woman a dog, you can hear the quiet, like it's even awkward saying it. That is not a good thing. That is not a kind thing. That is not something that we would say Jesus would do. And I wish I could tell you that 2,000 years ago, it was a high compliment and it was totally different. But it wasn't. Virtually every reference to dogs in all of Scripture, Old Testament or New Testament, is negative. It's to evil people. It's to evil things. It's to people who are outside God's covenant. 
Now, the Greek word used here refers to like a, a house dog or a lap dog. There's a different Greek word for like a feral dog or a street dog. So that, that's a little bit good, but it's still, this is a shocking statement. And if the Pharisees that Jesus had been arguing with just a few verses earlier had been with him when he had said this, they would have been like, yep, that's right. Exactly. Non-Jew, outsider, they're dogs. So what's happening? What is he doing? How do we reconcile this with the Jesus that we think we know? The Jesus that we do know. It is in her answer that we can understand what is happening here, and it's amazing. So Jesus says to her in verse 27, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Verse 28, But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So listen, here's what's happening. Jesus has given her a little bit, a little parable, a little one-sentence parable. And she is the first person in the entire gospel of Mark to understand one of Jesus' parables without it having to be explained to her. She gets it. A Gentile, a woman from Tyre, which Israelites, they hated Samaritans first, and probably Tyre were their second most hated people. You know what the disciples were saying in this moment? Probably. Huh? Bro, did she just call her a dog? She hears it, she understands it, and then what does she do? She enters into the parable and responds in kind. It is the mo- one of the most amazing responses to Jesus in all of Scripture. It, Jesus is not degrading her. He is not, cr- he is not uh, criticizing her or putting her down. Jesus is challenging her. And not challenging her in the way we think of someone like a fight, like, come at me, bro. Like, come on, you want some of this? He's challenging her in the way that a great teacher challenges a great student to do their best. He's challenging her in the way a great coach challenges his best or her best athlete to do their best. He is saying, do you really think I came for more than Israel? Do you really think I came for the outsiders? Do you really think I came for the dogs? And she could have been like, I'm so sorry, sir. I knew it was wrong for me to come here. Please forgive me for interrupting. But she steps right up and she says, absolutely. Absolutely, I believe that you came for more than Israel. And Mark doesn't tell us this, but in Matthew's uh, recounting of this story, he gives us a response from Jesus. Jesus in, in Matthew's recounting says this. He responds to the woman. He says, oh woman, great is your faith. She got it. She got what he was saying and she knew who she was and she knew what he was doing and she answered by entering right into the parable with him. It would be like, it's like if someone right now, and I'm not suggesting anyone do this, it'd be like if someone right now stood up in this sanctuary and looked at me and said, eres un perro. And some of you who speak Spanish are like, that wasn't really nice. And some of you who are like, this white boy from Ohio certainly doesn't know what's going on here. And then, and then, and then without, a, without, a, without missing a beat, I'm like, si, sí. Pero soy un perro muy guapo y muy fuerte. And you're like, oh, oh, okay. We see what's going on here. That's what she did. He, he, he challenged her. He tested her. And she rose to the challenge. And she made an incredible theological statement about who he was and why he came that for the rest of history people will be encouraged by. Now, 
uh, I don't know all of you. I've met many of you. And so I'm walking a little bit on thin ice when I say this because I could be wrong. But, but as far as I know, I do not, I'm not aware of anyone uh, in our church who is 100% ethnically a Jew. Now, I may get an email on that. I'm not, if I'm wrong, forgive me. And if you are, that's wonderful because you are a child of God. But what that means is that we're all dogs. We are all, you're all, we're all dogs. And so the reason I titled this Who Let the Dogs Out is because Jesus let the dogs out. Because listen, sin and Satan want nothing more than to convince you and I that we could not be children of God. That God doesn't adopt dogs. But what Jesus is, and, and this beautiful woman are making clear in this passage is that, is that God loves to adopt dogs. That the children are his and the dogs are his as well. So may we respond to sin and Satan in the same way that this woman has. When doubts start to creep in, could God really love you? Does God really have enough for you? Does he have enough blessing for you? Absolutely he does. Because I get to eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. We're all dogs. And now the last thing that I want us to draw from this is this. Jesus has enough blank to go around. Or, I had to. All dogs can go to heaven. There's just, there are too many pop cultural references. Look, I, I left out Snoop Dogg and a lot of other dogs that I could have brought in. Jesus has enough blank to go around. So I want to look at her response one more time. What does she say to Jesus? He says, he says uh, you know, the, the, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. You know what she's doing? She's, she's talking about the story of Israel. And she's referring, I think, specifically to Genesis chapter 12, which if you know that, it's where God shows up to Abraham. And he, he makes a covenant with Abraham. And he says, Abraham, you're going to have descendants that are greater than the sand on the seashore. And the nation that comes from you, Abraham, I'm going to bless. But it's not just going to be for them. It's going to be for the whole world. So he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. The blessings that come through Abraham and through his offspring are going to flow through to the rest of the world. And that is what she is describing in this moment. And here's something that I love. One of the scholars I read this week said, don't think that this is the leftovers or the scraps. That's not what she says. She says it's crumbs. And the crumbs under the table get eaten by the dogs at the same time that the children are eating. And it's the same thing that the children are eating. And this is really true to my lived experience because I have four children. And I love them more than I love my life myself, my, my life itself. But I have said for years, if we had a pack of feral dogs eating at our kitchen table, there would not be any less mess under the table after the meal than the children eating at the table. There's a whole spread under there. You got a full suite of your macros from what the children have dropped. There's protein, there's carbs, there's fat. There's tons of fiber because the veggies all somehow make it down there. There's not a lot of sugar, which is good for us because somehow all the sugar makes it in their mouths, but all the other stuff gets dropped underneath. Recognize, it's easy to read this passage and be like, well, well, the, the, the dog get the leftovers. That's not what's being communicated. 
What's being communicated is that the dogs get the same thing at the same time as the children. It just comes to them through the children. And that's exactly what we see in the rest of the passage. Jesus says to her, verse 29, for the statement, you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter and she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Is there enough for her? Is there enough blessing for her? Absolutely. And then Jesus continues this circuitous journey. He goes to the Decapolis, which is the area on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. He's been there before. It's where he healed a demon-possessed man a few chapters ago in, in Mark. And he meets this man who's deaf and mute and he can't speak. But if he could, he would ask the same question, do you have enough for me? Is there a blessing for me? And what does he do? He heals him. And the answer is yes, absolutely, there's enough for you. Jesus is going around and he is rebuilding what sin and Satan have broken down. And he's not only rebuilding it for Jacob, he's rebuilding it for Esau. He doesn't just have a blessing for Jacob. He's got more than enough blessing for Esau as well because Jesus has more than enough blank. I know that's awkward. Uh, uh, we'll get to it in a minute. More than enough blank. Uh, the college that I went to was known for a few things nationally. I wanted to say the intelligence of its students, but that's not what it was. Uh, one of the things, and maybe, the, maybe the, what it was most known for when I was there was for the food. Uh, every year when I was at, at school, uh, my college would rank like one, two, or three nationally for the best college food in the country. And so that was a blessing. Now, that, was, that was a wonderful place to be in my college years, and, to, and it, was, it was. It was very good food. Uh, there was one day, I think it was about monthly, that kind of superseded all the rest. And I don't even know why, as I was thinking about this, preparing this message, in hindsight, it was so frenetic. But chicken tender day was like off the charts crazy. It was like, sh it was like shark week at my school, like, like blood in the water on chicken tender day in the dining hall. It wasn't that big of a school. It was about 2,000 students. So it was just, there was one dining hall. And most days at lunch, you know, the lines were manageable, no worries, get your delicious food and go eat it. But on chicken tender day, it was like the professors wanted in on the action, the staff wanted in on the action, the admin wanted in on the action. All those people who would skip lunch, all of a sudden they wanted lunch that day. And so it's like on chicken tender day, the lines were out the door. And one of the worst things that could possibly happen to you on chicken tender day would be for your last class before lunch to run late. Yeah, they, yeah, you know. And one day, I didn't even know it was chicken tender day, and my class before lunch ran late. And I come through the quad, uh, you know, come around the corner. It's Chicago. It's winter. It just, you know, it's negative 47 degrees. Uh, it's just, there's just an anger. It's angry, cold. And you come around the corner, and I see this line out the door down the sidewalk from the dining hall. And I'm like, what is this? What has gone wrong? And it's like, it's like the wave comes over me of realizing the despicable despair that I am in because it is chicken tender day, and I'm late. And listen, they, they probably did 10,000. I'm not exaggerating. They probably did 10,000 chicken tenders on chicken tender day, but they still would run out. So if you were at the end of the line, there was no guarantee that you were going to get them. And so I get in line. It's like, you know, 30 minutes of waiting, watching all these people stream by with their heaping mounds of golden brown manna from heaven. The, the football players, they would take 15 chicken tenders. I'm not joking. 
And so, uh, so you're just finally getting up to the front and, and you, know what's, you know what's about to happen. It's like it's something straight out of a movie. Uh, you get, I get up there, there's one guy in front of me, there's three chicken tenders left in the tray and this homeboy takes all three of them and winks at me as he goes past. He didn't really do that. But it's like, it's like you've been waiting all this time, all I wanted was some of these delicious chicken tenders and now I'm gonna have a spinach quiche for lunch. And as I get up there, the, the attendant behind the counter pulls that empty tray out and reaches down, might have been below the counter, might have reached into heaven itself, <laughs> and pulled out a new tray of piping hot chicken tenders and said something along the lines of, there is plenty more where that came from. So is there enough for me. There is plenty more where that came from. I left this point blank on purpose. I know that's kind of weird, but I was thinking about, do I say, is there enough love? Is there enough blessing? Jesus has enough kindness. There are 50 things that we could put in this and say, Jesus has enough of this to go around. And so I want you to fill in the blank this morning. I don't know what you need. I don't know what you want, but let's not worry about our wants. Let's just talk about our needs in this moment. I don't know what you need, but whatever it is, Jesus has more than enough to go around. He's got more than enough love. He's got more than enough blessing. He's got more than enough kindness and grace and mercy and forgiveness and peace, peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. Jesus has more than enough salvation to go around. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sin be like scarlet, he will wash it white as snow. Is there enough for me? There's more than enough. As we wrap this up, I just want to make sure that we don't miss one more thing. Um, God promised Abraham that through his children, the world would be blessed. And that came to fruition. We, we have seen that happen. The Syrophoenician woman referred to it when she responded to Jesus in the way that she did. But I think, and I, please, please understand the humility that I say this in. I am not trying to rewrite scripture. I think she was just off on one minor point. She said that the dogs would eat the crumbs that fell from the children's table. Children, plural. But I believe that the dogs ultimately eat the crumbs that, call, that fall from one child's table. And it was the child at, whom she threw, at whose feet she threw herself that day. All of human history pointed to one child, one seed of Abraham. All of Israel's history pointed to one child, one seed of Abraham. And that child was the God-man, Jesus Christ. And the way we understand this story, I think the way we visualize it in our heads, or you might be doing right now, is we get this idea that God gave the children blessings. And those blessings were spilled over for the rest of the world. And that's true in one sense. But the child at whose table we dogs eat the crumbs was not given blessings. He was given the curse. The only one in human history who did not deserve the curse and deserve the blessings got the curse. 
But here's what's so amazing. The curse did not flow through him. He was given curses and blessings came out. He was beaten and whipped. He was humiliated and crushed. He was crucified on a cross and in that moment, he was separated from God himself. And yet all of those curses somehow were held up in his body so that just as blood and water flowed out, so too did blessings for you and for me. May we never forget that we deserved the curse and he deserved the blessing. But he took the curse upon himself and what flowed through to us was unending blessing. Father, do you not have another blessing for me? Is there enough for me? There's more than enough. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we tend to be tempted to think that we can do this on our own, to think that we know what's best and we know what's right, and uh, if we can just um, manifest our own destiny, then, then we can be who we want to be and, and get what we want to get. God, may we know this morning that that is nothing but a lie from the pit of hell, that we are nothing without you, that we can't even cause ourselves to draw another breath or our heart to beat another time except that you ordain and will it. And our only hope in life and death are the crumbs that fall from your table. And so we thank you, God, that you did not just come for the, the physical seed of Abraham, but you came for the spiritual seed of Abraham. Those who have bowed their knee and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. God, work in us, encourage us, challenge us today, God, to stop living for ourselves and to live for you. We have all kinds of needs, God, and it is tempting to believe that you do not have enough to fulfill our needs. And God, may we be reminded that you are more, more, more than enough. Thank you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're now going to have a, a, a song of response. And this is just your opportunity to worship, continue worshiping God, worshiping God uh, or to do any business with God that you feel he may be leading you to do in this moment. Uh, this may be the first day that you have felt like, I want to follow Jesus Christ with my life, and there is no better moment than right now to make that decision. Pray, talk to him while we pray. Find me afterwards. I would love to talk to you about what that means. It may be that, that God is speaking to you about something that go, that's going on in your life right now. It may be that you have been nursing doubts about who you are, about who God is, and what he can do for you. And this might be the moment that you give those over to him and just let his love and grace and forgiveness wash over you. I'll be back up after we worship for the benediction.
reminder, uh, we're just asking folks to, to leave as soon as possible just for everyone's safety and head outside. And uh, I'll look forward to seeing you outside for meet and greet after the service. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Until we meet again or until our Savior comes and then forever. Amen. You are loved and prayed for and you're sent.